Come on. Spending too much time on social? Is your daily screen time over two hours? Are you a little bit overweight? Not saving enough money? Any or all of these are familiar. Strive could be for you. The Strive two-week online boot camp will help you to detox your mind, body, and money, getting you on your way to a happier, healthier, wealthier, and more confident life. Go to strivedetox.com, S-T-R-I-V-E-D-E-T-O-X.com, and get your mind, body, and money right. Christine, are you ready? I was born ready. I like it. I like it. I'm ready. The people are ready. Let's go. Welcome to Money Savage Engage. This is George Grumbacher. Christine Carter is a PhD. She is the founder and CEO of Raising Happiness. She is an author, speaker, and a coach. I'm excited to have you on. Christine, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Well, thank you for asking. I'm a sociologist and senior fellow at UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center, which is um, an interdisciplinary research center where we look at the science of a meaningful life. So practically speaking, that means that I'm an author and a speaker and an executive coach. And I, I see my job as to translate all the research that's coming out of the Greater Good Science Center and, and actually all over research institutions um, all over the world. Um, all the research related to well-being for my readers and the people that I work with in groups or individually so that so that we can all apply uh, this research to our lives. So my, my last book, The Sweet Spot, How to Accomplish More by Doing Less, um, was really about how the culture of busyness and distraction that we're living in is detrimental to our overall well-being and how the things that we as individuals or um, as communities or businesses can um, can do to um, to dial back the the busyness in our lives and and therefore increase our overall well-being. Um, but I'm also my personal life. I'm also the mother of four teenagers. I um, I live near San Francisco. I I. I work with a dog next to me all the time named <laughs> Buster. He's right here. Um, and, you know, that part, personal part of my life is it has really informed my forthcoming book. I have a book coming out in a couple of weeks called The New Adolescence, Raising Happy and Successful Teens in an Age of Anxiety and Distraction. And that book is um, – is not so different than the sweet spot in a lot of ways. It's a very sociological look at what's different these days for teenagers, but also just in the world of work and the skill, the core skills that we actually all really need now, given the very different world that we are living in and a very accelerated pace of change. And it's not slowing down. No, it's not. <laughs> It's not slowing down. We keep waiting. You know, we're just so optimistic that way, but it, um, it, it's not slowing down. And so what we need to do is really be able to adapt. And um, we've seen the pace of change pick up so much over the last um, seven to 10 years that we aren't adapting 
as quickly as we used to, or, or as quickly as we need to be. We're actually adapting more quickly than we used to, but, um, but it's still, the pace of change is um, now outpacing our adaptation rates. And so, um, so one of the things that we can do is look, look at what's happening and, um, and look at what adaptations we need to make, and then we can make them. That's the great thing about, you know, being human and, and not being like my dog right next to me. He's not, not doing Buster. a lot of thinking about, about, um, about the pace of change or the adaptations he needs to make. He's sort of sleeping through it all. <laughs> uh, a, a, a dog's life is a good one. So I know, I know it's not bad. All right. So, I mean, it's fascinating. You are your, your professional work. You are translating all of this wonderful resource. That's research, which is being done on, on, on well-being and happiness. And then you are in the thick of it with, with these four teenagers who are going through obviously this last, like, like you said, seven to 10 years of, of crazy innovation and change. Um, and talking about how, well, I mean, fundamentally, I think that, that it's sort of crushed most of us, right? It's, it's not, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's not made any of us happy. People are, are lonely and feeling isolated and mm-hmm. depressed and all this stuff. So would love to talk about just what, 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 what we all can do to, to continue to adapt. And maybe the starting point is just recognizing it, but I'll, I'll stop guessing and just yeah. ask. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because, um, we are seeing not just in our teenagers, but in society at large, you know, really skyrocketing, um, increases in anxiety and depression and suicidality, you know, people always say, oh, well, I think we're just talking about, it's more acceptable to be depressed mm-hmm. and anxious and we're diagnosing it more. And, um, there may be a little bit of that, but you know, the, the really concerning to, thing to me is to look at the suicide rate. Like that is not a diagnosis issue, right? Like, sure. and, and the suicide rate is, is the highest it's ever been, um, at least since the depression or it's higher than it was during the depression, the great depression. So, um, so we know something is, we know something is going on and we tend to ascribe that the cause of that to sort of individual things we, um, our individual psychology and, um, because I'm trained as a sociologist, I've just never really seen it that way. I've never been interested in the genetic factors. There are of course genetic factors, but, um, but I'm a sociologist. So I look at social factors and, um, in, in this place in time right now, I believe that the sociological aspects of what's going on are, are much more relevant and, um, and, it's important, I think, for people to understand that, um, that it's not, there's not something wrong with you if you're struggling with depression or anxiety or whatever, or if you're just feeling lonelier than ever before. It's something is our society has changed in a really dramatic way. And, um, it's just not working out for a lot of people. Um, so, so that, but that doesn't mean that there aren't, um, 
you have you don't have to wait for society to change back, right? That the good news is is that we understand what's happening. It's not your fault. Um, it's not your kids' fault if they're struggling, right? There's a you know this is ha- it's it's affecting a lot of people, um, and there's a a lot that we can do because we do understand for the most part what's happening. We understand what some of the solutions are, um, and. Uh, I think it's really, really important to take control of our own well-being, our overall happiness, um, and like you really even more than happiness. I think finding meaning and connection and fulfillment um, in in this new society that we are um, living in. So we talk about we recognize what is happening. What what is happening? <laughs> what is happening? Okay. Well, a lot of there are a lot of different things um, happening, but we are seeing. Let's just take the sort of loneliness and isolation piece of things. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, um, in a in a society that we perceive ourselves to be increasingly connected, of course, right? Because we have all these new technologies that um, and social media and things that help connect us. And because we, you know, those of us who are middle-aged are like all in touch with our high school friends and stuff through social media, we feel, um, we feel more connected in, um, in some ways, but in fact, what we're seeing is, um, really increasing levels of disconnection from a face-to-face interaction, um, standpoint. So we get less, um, eye contact and less touch than we have in previous um, societies, previous decades, you know. So, yeah. um, so that sort of decreasing connection, face to face connection with other people. And this is not just with our friends um, and family members, although it is true um, that people are spending less time with their friends and are less connected to their families than they have been in previous generations. Um, but it's also true of less time just making eye contact with strangers. And um, so we kind of know this intuitively, like you get into an elevator and nobody talks to each other and is looking down at their screen, right? Like sure. we, we know why we're not making eye contact anymore. But the effect that that has on the, the human nervous system is pretty profound. So the human nervous system does not like to think it's alone. It never really does. Hmm. It, it doesn't want to be alone, right? So when you make eye contact with another person, your nervous system is calmed. It feels safer. And so to feel isolated sends, um, is one of the most stressful states of um, of the human nervous system. And if you're not making eye contact, your nervous system thinks that you're alone and, and it perceives that as being under threat. So that makes us feel anxious and it just rattles us a little bit. So, and, and it just sort of becomes this, um, you know, scary snowball effect in which the more stressed you are, the less well you sleep, the less well you sleep, the less happy you are. Um, and the more isolated you become from other people, like 
being a little bit short on sleep actually makes other people avoid you in a measurable way. Like Mm. we could, we at UC Berkeley, Matt Walker's done these really interesting experience, uh, experiments on, um, sleep and social interactions. And so like these things all build on, um, on themselves, you know, social media is another really interesting case, like where, um, in terms of how it can affect our nervous system. I'm not saying that our devices are all bad at all um, or that social media is all bad. It's, it's a tool. And when we start to, when we start to really use it a lot um, or overuse it, we see an effect on the nervous system. So um, social media tends to make most people compare themselves to other people and, um, and they, so if you're on social media, if you're on Facebook or something and, um, and you're seeing a lot of, um, pictures posted of somebody else's vacation, you know, or you're, you're looking at sort of curated stories on Instagram or, or whatever the case may be. A lot of times you're comparing yourself to, you know, you're compa- comparing your insides to other people's outsides. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, and it's really hard not to feel a little bit less than, or maybe a lot less than the people that you're comparing yourself to. So human beings are um, like our primate cousins. You know, we are very hierarchical and, um, and knowing where we are on the social hierarchy can be a primary concern. It, if you're a teenager, it really is because there's just brain reasons why, but, um, development reasons why, but even as an adult, you know, you can sort of mature past an anxious focus on your social status, or you can constantly be priming yourself to be focused on your social status by looking at social media and comparing yourself to other people and deciding that you're maybe a little lower on the status ladder than you, you might've thought of or you you weren't even thinking about before and an interesting thing about the human nervous system is that while it's very stressful to be low status like think about you know the probably you've seen something on national geographic or whatever on monkeys like the low status monkeys are like always the stressed out ones with their hair falling out and they just like are so sad and pathetic (laughs) right we think of that being the like saddest possible state but actually the most stressful state for the human nervous system or the primate nervous system is to feel like you're losing social status. Hmm. It's not low status, which is bad. It's losing status, which is worse. And, um, and so this is just wrecking havoc on us because it, it's easy in today's society to feel like you're always losing status, even if you're relatively wealthy and beautiful and high status in reality, you know? Yeah. Well, I appreciate that very much and easy to, um, it's almost impossible to, to, to not fall into that trap or at least to, to be viewing signs of people that, that, that have more or living better lives. It, it just really probably everywhere we turn. So what, what is the remedy to that? Is it simply turning the devices off or, or, or how do I begin to manage that? Well, the first step is really just to be aware of it, right? To know that it's, um, and to be a- aware of how you're feeling, right? Are you comparing yourself? So, um, I, I do think it's a, it's a 
really solid idea to, um, to give yourself some time every day, um, just completely away from the devices, not just from social media, right? Like, but from, um, from all the, um, constant alerts and interruptions and stimulation, right? So our phones are very, very stimulating. It's another reason that our nervous systems tend to be a little rattled these days. Um, so giving yourself some time every day for, for on the one hand, uninterrupted focus on something. And on the other hand, some sort of stillness, um, from, from these devices. So that's actually kind of two tips, um, in one. Um, so the first thing is just to like, think about, think about the stillness aspect of things, you know, the human brain and nervous system evolved to just sort of be staring into space, staring out onto the savanna, you know, looking for threats and, um, but, you know, soft focus and, um, a relative lack of stimulation. And, and so we, we need to get back to that a little bit, right? Like, you know, when I, when, I was in my early twenties. I, I was able to at least use sort of the interstitial space in, in throughout my day, um, to just stare into space. And now we don't have any of that time. Like you don't wait in line without looking at your phone. You don't like you, you, you can just always be looking at your phone. Um, you can always be trying to check something off a list. You can always be checking a feed. Um, and so I, I like to think of the, the times when you're not really accomplishing anything, right? Like you're not, you're not really responding to email or any, doing anything more than liking photos on a feed or whatever mm-hmm. as, um, as sort of strategic times to stare into space. So my tip is to take time every day, if not every hour, to do a little bit of strategic slacking, Right. So, um, so, and by strategic slacking, I just call it strategic slacking because people feel better about it. Like they don't, they're like, Oh my God, she's telling me to stare into space. That sounds <laughs> like so unproductive. I can't do that. I have to be productive all the time. Um, no, you don't. You'll actually be much, much, much more productive. You'll be happier. Your brain will be, you'll be like calmer and more peaceful and less stressed and less anxious, but you'll also be more productive. Your brain will work better if you allow it to switch into um, what the, what researchers call task negative mode, and um, and you only need to do it for a few minutes. So the next time you know you're waiting in line, or if you're um, if you're you're waiting for your lunch, um, don't look at a screen. That's a strategic time to just let your brain switch into this highly productive. Um, brain wave. I mean, it, it, it does switch into this other mode in which it um, starts to draw connections between things it didn't see um, as connected before. So it's the seat of all creativity. It consolidates memories. It does a lot for your brain and, um, and uh, will make you feel a little more energized when you actually go back to doing the, the things that you need to do. And I know I can certainly, certainly speak to that personally because uh, just that couple of minutes of, of, uh, what was the term? Slacking. My strategic slacking. Strategic <laughs> slacking. Uh, yes, I think that that's such a valuable thing, and 
as, as as you were talking, it reminded me of that 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 Blaise Pascal quote talking about how so many of humanity's problems are caused by a person's inability to sit quietly in a room by himself or herself. And that I don't know what yeah. year that was, but that was an awfully long time ago. Yet we're still mm-hmm. experiencing the same problems, right? So, but I think to a uh, 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 much an amplified degree, right? This is because it's now possible to, to never be by yourself, right? You can be working, quote unquote, working or, or stimulated all the time now. Right. And so, um, and so now it's really important that we build regular intervals of, um, downtime, even if it's just five minutes of staring out the window while you commute. Right. Or, or how about, how about, you know, actually looking up at the person who's checking you out of the store and asking them how they are and using that as a moment to establish some eye contact and, you know, basically signal to your nervous system that you are a part of a community and you're safe. Yeah. I love it. Well, Christine, Savage Nation is ready for your difference making tip. What do you have for them? Well, I would say that the flip side to what we just talked about is to take time every day also to let yourself focus, to do deep work without interruption on something that's important to you, something that's meaningful to you. So this means turning off all the alerts on your computer and your phone and closing your office door if you've got one. Um, Put large noise-canceling headphones on if you don't have an office because that's the sort of international sign for please don't bother me. Really important, put your phone somewhere that you can't see it so you won't be tempted to um, look at it. You know, even if you only have 15 or 20 minutes, let yourself single task during that time every day to just try and schedule um, a little time to do deep work. Multitasking is really draining for us and uh, not a very productive thing to do. And single tasking allows us the possibility that we will drop into a really energizing state of flow. So I think most of us um, are now get paid to think. So, So think every day, right? Do a little bit of deep work every day that's not um, crazy and interrupted and doesn't um, feel f- frantic. You know, I think my my best tip is to grant yourself some uninterrupted space and time to do meaningful work. Wick, that is great stuff. That definitely gets come on, come on. And Christine, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Where can they get a copy of your books? Uh, my website is christinecarter.com, and you should be able to find my books on Amazon or in any bookstores. My um, my forthcoming book is The New Adolescence, Raising Happy and Successful Teens in an Age of Anxiety and Distraction. I love it. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Christine your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to christinecarter.com and learn all about the important work that she is doing and pick up a copy of The New Adolescence as well, anywhere that fine books are sold. Thanks again, Christine. Thank you so much for having me. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together.